Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. I know that I've been at meetings and people have said, um, oh, I just took a screenshot of what you presented, but you didn't ask me beforehand, you know, so that raises issues depending upon what I'm sharing on the screen. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And we have with us once again, Bronwyn Gallisher, Managing Director from CCL Consultants. Hi, Bronwyn. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so today, uh, because Privacy Awareness Week is just around the corner, I think it's from the 2nd to the 8th of May, I thought it'd be interesting to just check in and have a bit of a conversation about the privacy space and just general things that are happening. I know people are sort of thinking about maybe the privacy review that's been happening, or they're probably thinking a bit about the notifiable data breach reporting and those other pieces, which I think are quite well discussed. But I thought, I think we are going to talk about a few things that are probably not that often talked about unless something wrong happens in that space. Uh, so I really wanted to start with, um, in our conversation before this recording, you mentioned just paying a bit of attention, not just to the federal obligations in terms of privacy, but also state-based um, sort of requirements as well. So I just wanted to tease a, a bit out of you, like what are maybe some of the federal or maybe state-based requirements under the privacy legislation that are probably not often talked about that are quite important, maybe? Yeah, no worries. Well, I think it's really um, important, like we were discussing um, before this call, about really recognising how the workplace has changed over the last two years and what we mean by that is obviously a lot of people working from home and a lot of people working online via um, platforms, whether it be Zoom or MS Teams and, 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 and other platforms, and really recognising um, that that's now a really common way of communicating. I know before it wasn't really something that I used much at all. Uh, and so we need to be mindful about making sure that our compliance policies, procedures, and also risk registers recognise the fact that there is state-based legislation such as workplace surveillance acts, and they're slightly different in each um, jurisdiction, given that it is state-based legislation. But, you know, being mindful about um, when we're having conversations with supply chain partners, um, is it the case that people have been recording um, presentations or meetings and dissemination of information um, when you think, oh, I'll just bring that up and I'll show you, um, are we really being mindful that there are requirements under the Privacy Act, for example, sharing customer um, data um, and that, that that's really limited under the um, Privacy Act. And so we could potentially be creating um, legal exposure um, by using the platform. So it's a really good reminder and an opportunity, I think, to say, okay, federal privacy laws have been in place now for a few years. Is it, given the workplace arrangements have changed in the way in which we're all working, is it a good chance for us to maybe do a bit of a refresher, look at what we've got and making sure that we're um, mitigation, mitigating uh, legal risk and operational risk to the business at this time? So just aware that we're probably still very much working in a hybrid situation. And obviously I'm at home at the moment. Um, mm. So we're still operating in that space. It, is this then an opportunity, and you've already started to say this, for maybe the GRC function to sort of help the company build maybe some policies and procedures around just this type of conversation we're having now in terms of recording and consent? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So if you don't obviously have them in place at the moment, it's a really good opportunity for you to um, do a spring clean, as I call it, uh, and really look at what you've got and, um, you know, look at simple options as well. It could be like, as you're saying, by way of a policy, maybe it's the case that before people start sharing meetings and depending on who's attending. So if there are external parties attending um, a checklist to, um, to keep people accountable about what we need to be mindful about in terms of, you know, can this be recorded? Yes or no. Um, I know that I've been at meetings and people have said, um, oh, I just took a screenshot of what you presented, but you didn't ask me beforehand, you know, so that raises issues depending upon what I'm sharing on the screen. Um, oh, I've got my phone next to me if you're hot spotting off the phone. You know, are you recording that conversation that you're um, attending? Because you think, oh, I just want to go back and make sure I've got my notes properly um, set out for, uh, you know, if you're, if you're keeping records of the, the, the meeting. Well, that's a big no-no if you haven't received that um, consent. So, yeah, I do, I do think it's um, a really good chance for us to um, remind the frontline in the business about what they can and can't do or the do's and don'ts and definitely compliance can um, assist assist with that um, and it's a really good chance for us to once again demonstrate um, how we can mitigate legal and operational risk to the business by really having a really good understanding about how the business is now operating in this new environment that we're all in working from from home if we're lucky enough. <laughs> So you definitely gave some examples there about how just a few things that people should check before they, they go ahead and do like screenshots and the recording and hotspot and, and what you're using, I guess, the type of device you're using. But are there any like examples that really stand out to you that you think we should watch out for in this type of communicating online and platforms and type of thing? Um, yeah, I think it is making sure that prior to commencing the meetings, that if it is going to be recorded that that prior consent has been um, expressly obtained by um, all relevant parties beforehand yeah. um, if it's the case that it's been disseminated beyond um, the, the group how far um, it's being disseminated um, and some people might be thinking I don't know why she's talking about this because under the privacy act there's exemptions for employees but, and that's absolutely right, there are, um, and retaining of particular information data. But where we're sort of touching on this point is when you have third parties attending, like supply chain partners, and you're conducting meetings uh, and being mindful uh, about that. And also just so that everyone is aware, it might be that, might be that your processes, policies, procedures, and other compliance controls are awesome, and that you are complying with Workplace Surveillance Acts and the Privacy Act and so forth. But what what level of comfort do you have that the other party is also in the same position? And I think that's that's really where um, I'm coming from on that um, that point. It goes beyond etiquette issues at a meeting and really legal exposure, and we just want to obviously mitigate that. Um, some people might be thinking, why should we care so much about it? The penalty. Um, so civil penalties associated with non-compliance are not as great as other areas of law. Um, and that's obviously not a position that we take at the GRC. If there is an obligation that we need to comply with, we obviously want to make sure that our um, compliance professionals are complying regardless of civil, criminal um, penalties associated with non-compliance. We obviously want to do the right thing. And that's part of our role um, in compliance to make sure that everyone in the business and beyond are doing the right thing. 
Yeah, and I guess there's also trust that the system being used and the platform being used haven't been compromised as well <laughs> between all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've, I think um, we've seen a few instances, certainly earlier on in the piece, with people joining meetings that they shouldn't have been, um, you know, joining. Um, also recognising, by the way, that, I mean, one of the great things about this new environment that we're all working in um, I mean, one of the things I love is the fact you can have meetings with people overseas and you, a lot of people are working, you know, if you're dealing with people in Europe, you'll be dealing with them, you know, later in the day. Um, if you're dealing uh, with people in other jurisdictions, you might be uh, earlier on in the day. So what it's done, it's created this opportunity or platform for us to have greater communication, but also recognising that different jurisdictions have different requirements. Um, and previously we've spoken about the European um, legislation in terms of privacy, um, and it blows us out of the water. It is the requirements are, are stringent. And just being mindful of that also, if you are having those conversations with um, people in other overseas jurisdictions, recognising um, that there are different requirements on an um, international level as well. Okay, so just that topic of us moving to things quite quickly. Um, Another thing that I guess was a phenomenon the last couple of years has been the QR code check-ins. And while I know that coming out of lockdowns, I think it's no longer a requirement to do this, I guess it's still probably an interesting piece to have this discussion in case there's something in the future um, that might require uh, some similar type of check-in system or intake of data and what to do with that data. Uh, so I, I guess just starting with those QR check-ins, I mean, what are some of the things that stood out from you from the way that it was done and how quickly it was done? Yeah, absolutely. So this is quite interesting because obviously the QR checking codes were a requirement of state governments um, and we had to check in and I'm being based in Adelaide. Uh, we are still seeing examples of, I've seen examples of businesses still having QR check-in um, on the front door of entrances, for example, um, for particular um, uh, venues. And there are people in our community who, for example, might be um, older and they don't own a mobile phone. I know a lot of people who don't own a mobile phone. Um, people who are from um, low-income, um, socioeconomically disadvantaged individuals may not own a phone. So then the alternative option for, for individuals was to um, complete a handwritten on a piece of paper, their details, whether it be their name, um, address, uh, if they had an email, telephone number and so forth. And businesses were required, as we were saying, under law to make sure that you had details of who was entering, entering premises. And um, obviously writing it down on a piece of paper, we can then see that the next person who reads that piece of paper and the one after that and so forth, then they're viewing your private details. And so that obviously creates a legal exposure um, issue. And um, certainly if there was that human error where, um, say, for example, a retail outlet would just leave the um, written check-in details on a counter and every person who walked past could read that, um, that was potentially a privacy um, issue. So businesses had to um, and should have been um, making sure that when um, consumers were requesting, can I please complete the, the, the paperwork, that they were storing that out of sight from other customers to reduce um, that legal liability in terms of um, privacy um, issues. And so, you know, there was this real need for training of staff 
and upskilling and making sure that um, the storage of that information wasn't left out for every um, every individual to uh, to read. Sure. And do you think that might be just down to maybe the size of the business and the, the resourcing? Because maybe there's just no time and space for that type of training and turnover because of COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the responses that uh, a larger business um, who may have access to um, those, the, the, the change in legislative requirements might have, have an internal compliance um, officer or um, have um, legal advice to uh, advise them on about what to do. But obviously, if you're a small business owner, um, people would just be thinking, oh, we'll, we'll just do the check code, check, checking codes and I'll leave the um, handwritten documentation on, on the counter and um, not thinking about privacy. And I think that's the point um, we do need to be mindful of that, whether it's this particular issue we're talking about or running new projects, whether you're launching a new online platform, um, you know, changing internal processes if you're a bricks and mortar um, operator, being mindful the Privacy Act works in weird and wonderful ways. Another example we can give you is like CCT um, footage. You know, if you're recording um, people entering premises, and someone asks for a copy of it, whether it be um, the, the the police, state state police, federal police, um, lawyers, courts, general um, general public. You know, should they be able to have access to that? Should we be making um, in certain instances, you know, sign offs so that we have we understand how um, footage is going to be uh, used by by third parties if we're prepared to give them um, access to that? So, it's a new and um, environment that we're all operating in, but obviously being mindful about, um, as we said, requirements under privacy um, legislation. Yeah, sure. And I, I know that the QR code discussion we just had was mostly based on people who were probably on the other side of the technological divide. But of course, there was also mm. an incident where um, those who were did have phones and they did check with the QR codes, that information was, I guess, there was an upload error, I think it was defined as. <laughs> um, for yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we have we have seen those um, incidents, and you know, and and the point is, is that the reality is these things do happen, but it's about also how we respond to that. So the timeliness of the response, you know, how we're communicating back to those affected parties if it has been a serious um, issue, uh, how we're communicating back to them, and then really looking at moving forward how we prevent those future incidents from happening, um, you know, moving forward in that regard. So um, it is really important that we stay on top of it, particularly in compliance, uh, and make sure that the front line are letting us know when there have been incidents and so that we, if needs be, we can report them through to the um, privacy commissioner as well, um, should it be a serious um, privacy breach as well. So another thing that you brought up in our chat before the recording of this podcast is the critical infrastructure bill. So maybe we could just sort of step back a bit and just talk a little bit about what that is and what that does that mean from a privacy context? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so this is an interesting piece of legislation that's just recently been passed by Parliament before the government went into uh, caretaker mode, which was only a couple of weeks ago. And so it was passed at the 11th hour, but we have known about potential amendments taking place. So originally this piece of legislation um, was applicable to, for example, um, ports and um, 
infrastructure, um, quite large infrastructure, where should there be um, issues arising out of um, breaches, the need to advise government about it because it's critical infrastructure that impacts upon um, the Australian economy. And um, at the recent, with the amendments that were made, it has extended the application of critical infrastructure to include organisations such as banks, um, supermarkets, transport companies, um, energy companies. So the, 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 app of the applicability of the legislation has gone from being quite narrow to quite um, significant in that regard. And what it's going to require is um, moving forward that should you have security data breaches due to, say, for example, hacking, you'll need to not only deal with that internally, but also advise the government via their critical infrastructure home affairs about the issue. Because what we recognise now is that sometimes incidents might occur in one organisation, but have an impact on other competitors in the same industry. Uh, and that's this sort of intelligence that the, the government needs to obtain so that then they can appropriately advise the industry in question and other industries and so that we can be made aware of, um, of, of these types of issues and it's once again a new landscape that we're all um, living in and um, that's certainly something from the data um, and security perspective, the application of this law is far greater than what it has been uh, in the past. And there are other requirements, by the way, um, that relate to the critical infrastructure bill, for example, like registering the assets, um, should there be bricks and mortar stores and so forth. But, um, yeah, that's another discussion for another another day. Yeah. But definitely the privacy um, piece and the data um, security is something that um, a number of us are grappling with in the compliance space um, at the moment. I know it's been a topic that we've discussed at the um, Certificate 4 course attended and um, it's been quite interesting to see the insights that um, our members are giving about how they're responding to that and you know there's an opportunity to share experiences um, with your fellow colleagues about this space we're always happy to um, talk about different topics. Excellent and we're just coming down to the end and I guess one more question I think whenever we talk about bills and things that you have to comply with people want to know what the penalties are now I know that we've discussed already that the, the privacy the penalties under the privacy bill are not as high as they could be um, but what about the critical infrastructure bill I mean what are the implications for if you have a major breach in that bit of infrastructure and you don't sort of follow through with your reporting requirements is is it significant penalties wise. Um, yeah, well, I always, I always think that um, if it's drafted in law, it's a must. Yeah. Uh, and that we, I, I, I distinguish in compliance between what's a must, should and a could. And yeah. obviously, if we must do reporting, um, we need to do that. Similarly, for example, um, like the um, modern slavery, um, it's a requirement to do reporting annually, but there's yeah. no um, penalty associated with non-compliance. But under the critical infrastructure, depending on the section, um, there are um, penalties associated with non-compliance. But also thinking about issues in terms of public reputation yes, um, and ensuring that consumer rights are being recognised. And I think looking at going back to our point we were talking about before, um, you know, about uh, looking at penalty regimes, we see privacy acts in overseas jurisdictions having significant, significant financial penalties for companies when there is non-compliance, 
not what we've got here in Australia, not the same regimes, but you mentioned at the beginning about the recent review that was done um, about privacy here in Australia. And this is a point that a number of um, parties are raising. You know, are the penalties right? Should they be greater? Um, you know, that is a discussion. Is it right, the carrot or the stick? You know, that whole point about should you care about something because it has a criminal or civil penalty associated with non-compliance or the fact that the law is saying you must do something, is that enough? Um, I, I think it's a really interesting um, issue. Where it does come into our world in compliance is really thinking about prioritisation, about how quickly we do get onto issues. Obviously, the greater the penalty, we would have to prioritise the rollout of one compliance project over another, and that's a, a factor we can take into consideration um, but certainly another point is, you know, federal law in, and the impact that it can have on um, the business and the level of exposure across multiple sites as well. That's something um, to be mindful of uh, as well when we're looking at, um, you know, impact upon operational parts of the business. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bronwyn. Those are the really good answers and excellent podcast. And hopefully we can have you on again uh, to discuss this further because I feel like there's so much more to be discussed in this space. <laughs> no worries, sounds good. Always happy to talk to um, yourself and our GRC members. Enjoy your day. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary. <laughs>